Hey everybody, welcome to Business Lunch with Ryan Dice and myself. I'm Roland Frazier. Nice to see you guys here again. We are very excited today to continue talking about the seven levels of scale. And Ryan, what what is our topic for today? I think we're on five. Yeah, level five today, which is actually to build your board. So just kind of quick recap, level one, you got to sell and serve 10 customers. Got to get those first 10 customers. Uh, level two, you got to build a growth flywheel, meaning you got to kind of automate your sales, perpetuate your sales. That's when you really get to, uh, you know, that's when your business becomes a lot more predictable, right? Now, once you got predictable sales coming in, then you ascend to level three, which is when it's time to upgrade your business operating system. Again, sequence matters, right? First, we got to make sure we can actually sell and serve 10, get that product market fit. Then we want to automate our sales. Then once we've automated the sales, then we focus on operations. You don't want to organize the file drawer too quickly. Uh, so level three, we are upgrading our business, our company's operating system. That is when you are truly a scalable business. That's when you can ascend to level four. Goal of level four is to double your take-home uh, pay to actually uh, increase your profitability. Right now, we're going to really have a focus on profitability. And then today, level five, talking about building your board. Yeah, so, so that is... That's kind of the, the scheme cool. there. Awesome. Thank you for that recap. Yeah. So, so board, by the way, there's a couple of different kinds of boards that you might be familiar with. And actually the one that probably more of you are familiar with and the one that we're talking about is the board of directors. So when you have a corporation legally, there are different levels of people who have a role in the company. And in the first people are the owners. Those are the shareholders. The second people set of people would be the directors. The shareholders elect the board of directors. The board of directors is responsible for creating the strategic vision for the company. And then to execute the vision, they elect the officers like the CEO, the president, etc. And we are not talking about that because you, you're legally required to have a board when you have a corporation. A lot of people that have LLCs also opt to have boards uh, and officers, even though there's not generally a legal requirement that you do. But what we're talking about here is really the board of people who is going to help give you guidance towards moving in a direction that you want the company to go. That's going to help the board of directors and the shareholders determine what should that direction and vision be and how can they inform it. And also then uh, to really serve as guides along the way. And we're calling that a board of advisors. Yeah, and, and I think the big distinction um, between those two, board of directors, board of advisors, the board of directors is really there to advocate for the shareholder. Like they're there to advocate and to make sure that that everything at the company is happening like it needs to happen. Now, if you're a founder, if you're an entrepreneur and you are the lone shareholder, well, that's fine, right? That's fine. But the downside, especially if you go and raise capital and now you've got a board of directors that are, maybe it's outside private equity or angel investors, stuff like that. Their primary fiduciary responsibility is to the shareholders, which may or may not fully include you. I mean, you might be a part of it as a shareholder, but what we're talking about with the board of advisors is their primary responsibility is to help you, right? You, the CEO, you, the owner, right? They are there to support you. Yes, they obviously care about the company, but they're really there to advocate and to support you so that you can support the business. One really cool thing, like a, a giant important difference for you as far as how you're going to run your company is that the board of directors actually can elect the officers, the people who are operating the company. So that could include you. So if you take on outside money or in some way lose control of the board, you find yourself like Steve Jobs 
uh, fired from your own board or several of the Lululemon had that same thing happen. Yeah. Chip, Chip Wilson. Chip Wilson. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Over and over and over, you see boards that disagree because they've got generally, I mean, everybody has their own agenda. And while they're supposed to be loyal to the shareholders, the truth is they're loyal to their shareholding more than they are. I mean, that's what we've seen anyway. So, so you want to be careful with that board to stay in control of it. And the nice thing about board of advisors is you can have as many of those as you want. You don't want to have crazy numbers, but I mean, you have as many as you want helping in the different areas that you want them to help in and they don't get to control anything. They're truly just giving you guidance and advice there's nothing binding about that. And that, that's really important. Yeah, very important because you know that they're there just to support you. So what we want to cover, we're going to talk about kind of who, who should be on this board, like who should generally make up this board, get into a little bit, like how do you compensate, you know, folks who are, you know, who are on this board, because there's a lot of different ways to do it. And then what are some steps that you can take uh, to begin to kind of move towards this process of building your board? But I did just want to reiterate, you don't need to focus on building an advisory board if you're still back at level one or level two. So remember the, the goal behind the seven levels of scale. It is to give you a proven step-by-step -step plan for scaling your business. But what it specifically tells you is focus on this now, like focus on this step, not a future step, focus on this step right now. So if you are at level one, right, your goal is to sell and serve those 10 customers so that you can move to level two and so on and so forth. So we're talking about level five, but it's critical that you know the level that you're at so that you know if this needs to be your primary area of focus. So we've actually created an assessment for the seven levels of scale. It's called the seven levels of scale assessment. So if you go to sevenlevelsofscale.com, you can take the assessment, figure out where you are right now. Either way, hope that you stick around, listen, learn about it so that when you get to level five, you know what to do. But it's critical for you that you know where you are so that you know what you need to focus on. Maybe go back and list some of the previous episodes where we talked about those. So again, sevenlevelsofscale.com. Com. You can spell it out or use the number seven. They will both take you uh, to the assessment where you can figure out the level you're at and download a really awesome uh, report that will kind of, again, help navigate these different levels for you. So that's kind of the, the freebie that we have. So with that said, let's actually, let's take a quick break. And then when we come back, what are you going to talk about? We'll talk about who, who will make up right, your board. Sounds great. How much more successful would you be if you had lunch with insanely successful entrepreneurs who shared their biggest secrets on how they think and achieve success? Well, now you can. Here, successful entrepreneurs reveal their step-by-step -step strategies and other fascinating stories. So grab your seat at the table, because this is Business Lunch with Roland Frazier and Ryan Dice. Hey, Ryan Dice here. You know, it's been a while since I've run the day-to-day -day for Digital Marketer, the company that Roland and I are partners in. Fortunately, we have a great team and great partners who help us with all that nitty-gritty stuff now. But the one thing that we focused on while I was there and the one thing the team still focuses on to this day is optimizing everything. I'm talking testing everything from the sales copy to the color of the checkout button. Testing like this can have a huge impact on your bottom line, but the truth is it takes a lot of time and a lot of resources. And half the time we were just throwing stuff against the wall just to kind of see what stuck. But the good news is you don't have to figure everything out on your own anymore. And that's because our friends at Conversion Fanatics have optimized hundreds of sites in all types of industries from small startups to Fortune 500s. And now they can handle all your testing and optimization for you too. So if you feel stuck when it comes to optimizing your website, go and visit conversionfanatics.com. 
Com, and they'll give you a list of custom suggestions to optimize your site 100% free. Once again, you can find them at conversionfanatics.com. About a year ago, my friend asked me if I'd ever thought about how big my company would be if I had never ever lost a customer. And that's a pretty crazy thing to think about. Of course, 100% customer retention is, as far as we know, impossible. But after that conversation, I, I really started thinking about how to increase customer retention. And after all, the more customers that you keep, the more money you do make, and it's generally 100% profit. So as most of you know, one of the most proven ways to increase retention is to communicate with your customers, which is why I've really been focusing on making our email newsletters great. And if you're interested in doing the same thing, I'd like to recommend you to our partners, the Newsletter Pros. They've done a ton of research on how email newsletters can make a big impact on customer retention, and they'll share it with you for free. Just text RETENTION, R-E-T-E-N-T-I-O-N, RETENTION, to 208-269-9111. That's 208-269-9111, and get your free retention guide. And we're back. So uh, we're going to talk a little bit now about who are these people that are going to be advising you and what's the ideal makeup and how many people should there be and how do you just go about doing this whole thing? Ryan, you want to throw out some of the some of the criteria? Yeah, I mean, so broadly speaking, an advisory board should be made up of two types of groups, mentors and peers. Mentors are the people who have been where you want to go. And obviously they are a critical aspect of any advisory board because the mentors are going to help you define your end game. They're going to help you point out like when you're creating your three-year targets and kind of your longer range plans, they're really going to be able to say, here's what I believe you could do because that's what I was able to do. Or that's what I saw other people do. They're going to help to close skills gaps. Hey, you really need to know how to do this. They're going to help broaden your network and make warm introductions. They're going to hold you accountable. They're going to say like, hey, I know you can do this because I've been there and I did it. But the other big thing that a really good solid mentor is going to do is they're going to help to build and, and they may even help help to facilitate the, the advisory board. And that's because you do need some mentors, but sometimes it can be really hard uh, to build a board of only mentors. And also you do need peers as well. I would, and this is the mistake I think a lot of people make when they're building their advisory boards is they want to build advisory boards of only people who are multiple levels where they want to be. You need those folks, but you also need to have some peers who are kind of in the trenches, but maybe in a slightly different area than you that can you know, help you stay accountable, break through some bottlenecks, call you on your shiny object syndrome and things like that, but also just kind of commiserate on the losses and, and celebrate the wins. So that's kind of the first thing that I would have you to think about, right? Would, like, yes, you need mentors, but peers I would well. add um, a category to that of strategics. Cause I think that like, if we think of, yeah, that was, we think of mentors as, as people who kind of have seen the way and they're going to take you under their wing and, and help guide you. Cause they've, they've gone through a lot of the things you've gone through. And then the peers is being kind of in the trenches with you. So they've got real world current experience and all of them, have both of those have connections that they can connect you to. But some other things you might think about on the advisory board would be people that you aspire to do business with that you might think about as a connection to 
the business that you are hoping to get. Let's say that you want to do business with, I don't know, gosh, Disney. Then you might think about having somebody that is an executive officer at Disney. Or if you're in a smaller thing, maybe you want to have a strategic partnership with Keep or Infusionsoft. And so you want to see if, would it be possible to get one of those people on? Because now you're connected to them. And if you're thinking about them as either a potential business partner or a strategic alliance, or even somebody that might ultimately be an acquirer for your company, then it doesn't, it doesn't hurt to get to know those people up front sooner rather than later. And if they come in as an advisor, they will be your advocate within the company that you're trying to get business in or sell to or whatever. And they'll also be able to provide insight that is positive about your company. And that gives you credibility when you're dealing with those people as well. So I think if you, if you think about it, it might be a, a member of a private equity company, a partner that you're thinking that you would like funding from, but you want to be careful with that because that will also potentially alienate other private equity companies. So unless you feel very strongly about that, I'd probably stay away from that. Bankers, I mean, initially, I think somebody that's that has some financial connection would be good, but but I would stay away from private equity and family office for that matter. Then the, the second kind would be the people that have the connections that you want. So somebody that has a big network that you would like to tap into that's a center of influence for that network would also be a strategic that you'd want to think about. And they might not be a peer. They may be an employee at, at another company. So they're not really an entrepreneur and they're not going to be there shoulder to shoulder with you. And they're not really a mentor in the classic sense, but you will get tremendous benefit from the connectivity that they, that they offer. So I think, I think I'd have that as a, as an additional category I'd include. Yeah. And I would include kind of same in that like broader strategic categories, other just strategic professionals, like you mentioned finance, but, but also yep. legal, especially if you're in a market that might have kind of more liabilities to it, or there might be more regulatory mm -hmm. type things. Like, so having somebody, whether it's your attorney or another more prominent attorney who, who has experience in the space, asking them to be on your advisory board could be very beneficial. Yeah. Same with if there's a specialist area, like maybe you're in e-commerce direct to consumer, but you think you might want to go off, then it could make all the sense in the world to have somebody with more of a traditional retail background, ask them to be on your advisory yeah. board. So think about all of those kind of specialist level, strategic level folks. You want to have them. You also want to have peers. So people who are entrepreneurs like you, but in different businesses that could share it and you need those mentors. Very often the mentors are also going to provide that specialist level. Um, but those groups uh, are, are going to, broadly speaking, be the groups of people uh, that, that you want who are on your advisory board. There's one more that, I, that is completely optional, but is uh, very effective when done right. And it may be that some of the people that we've talked about in those categories fall into this as well. But even if it's just an independent category of celebrity, celebrity can bring huge mm. credibility, huge following, huge access to audiences and markets that you didn't otherwise have. And so it might be that your mentor or, or the other categories we talked about are well known. And celebrity doesn't necessarily mean like the most famous person with the most people following on Twitter. It could be a celebrity within the industry. One thing I learned when I was practicing law is that I, you'd represent people like Tony Robbins. And this was early on in his ascendancy, but like within his group, everybody 
adored and idolized him. But then you'd go out and you'd be talking to other clients and they're like, what are some of the other clients you represent? What do you represent Tony Robbins? And like, who's that? Right. So within right. the, there are micro celebrities within groups that, that can be very valuable to you as well. But I, I do believe that that's something to think about. And particularly as celebrities are thinking more, there's definitely a trend that we're seeing of celebrities not wanting to be paid help anymore. They actually want to get a piece of things. And so advisory shares or advisory equity in a company or options can be a really good way to let them have a write up on the growth, get them kind of have a, a vested interest, but bring you again, tremendous credibility just by association with them. Those, those are the only ones I can think of, but I think, I think those four definitely are worth considering. And the celebrity, if, if you've got one or if you can attract that, it's not a bad thing. I think that's why a lot of people go on Shark Tank. It's like, I'm in business with Mark Cuban. Well, that opens a lot of doors, right? It absolutely does. Yeah, it opens doors with customers. It opens doors with potential partners, with vendors. It, it lends a lot of credibility. And, and so, yeah, so I love those categories. So the mentors, the people who have been where you want to go, right? That Those are the most obvious ones. Also, having just those trusted peers who you can commiserate with, who are, and, and maybe you're, you're on their advisory board and they're on yours, right? They're, they're truly peers, but you want that insight. You want that, that opinion, the, the strategics, the folks who have that specific strategic knowledge, or they're a strategic customer opportunity or a strategic uh, exit point. And then, yeah, those, those influencers, those celebrities, the door openers. And we had a friend uh, that called them the bug light that, that could draw people into you. So think about those four categories. Now we mentioned four categories, but in general, Roland, how big do you think somebody should make their, should have their advisory board be in, you know, in, in your experience? I think it's largely dictated by looking at those four categories and saying, who would I ideally like to have? So I like to start with kind of my dream list of categories, not necessarily people. I'd like to have this, 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 and then kind of whittle back. Uh, well, actually three steps would be, what's my dream list categorically speaking? Then who are the individuals that I know or would like to have fill those roles? And then take a look and say, okay, does that seem manageable? So if if I've whittled down and now I've gotten, I like I started with, 17 categories. And then I didn't know people in uh, a few of those. So now I'm left with eight. Well, is eight okay? Maybe, maybe not. I just think about, is is that going to, like, am I going to be able to operate within that environment? I, I think that I, I've just recently was in a meeting where there were 13 members and, and it's a lot. It takes a long time to get through that meeting because everybody has something to say. They're all smart. They all have valuable contributions, but my gosh, it lasts forever. So in the interest of expediency, I think seven is a good high number and five is a good low number. I think if you're between five and seven, you can get at least one person from each of the four categories and then maybe one other really important person that you, you think should be there as well. And, and that, that's what I've, I've seen work for me. How about, how about you? Yeah, I, I think that range is really good. So what we've seen and kind of what I've recommended, if you can build a board, an advisory board that is, let's say 10 to 15 people, then what you're going to find is not all of them are going to commit to like some kind of quarterly meeting. And you don't need to do that. Like, again, we're talking about an advisory board, not a board of directors. So the, you don't have to have like regular meeting times with the groups. Now, I do think you should have that. 
I do think that you should have a group of people that are on your advisory board that you are meeting with on a you know quarterly or maybe even on a monthly basis, depending on that's that's kind of a different group. We'll, we'll talk about that in just a second. But there can very easily be folks on your advisory board that you don't ask to attend those quarterly or monthly meetings because they just yeah. won't. But by saying, being able to say, hey, this person is on my board, you're going to be able to attract more people to it, even if they can't come to all of them, even if they are un unwilling to commit to that. What we're looking for with an advisory board member is somebody who is basically promised ahead of time, look, if you send me an email, I'll reply. If you text me, if you call me 911, I'll, I'll answer. That's what we are looking for. Hey, Business Such listeners, we're going to get right back to the show. But Roland wanted me to invite you to a brand new training that he's doing on acquiring businesses with no money out of pocket. It's something that he's talked quite a bit about on the show, but he's doing a free training where he's going to walk through the entire process. So if you want to get access to that, go to businesslunchpodcast.com slash epic. That's businesslunchpodcast.com slash epic, and you can get signed up. And so in general, we found if your board is made up of 10 to 15 names, and you are asking them to kind of gather on a regular basis, then yeah, the number of people who actually gather with you on a semi-regular basis is probably going to be in that seven-ish number, which is a really good number to have. Five to five to seven people who are on that you can say like, hey, can we all do like jump on a quick Zoom and talk about this? Or hey, can we meet in this area? My treat. That's kind of a good number. So just keep that in mind. The other thing I'll say is um, you're going to have people who go on and off. So you're not, this shouldn't be a, a, a perpetual commitment. We will ask people, hey, would you be willing to be on my advisory board for a year, right? And then maybe it would renew, okay? So this concept of an advisory board, usually you want at least a minimum one-year commitment. Two years is, at least if it's a mental one, is, is better because kind of you need that long to get a sense of what's going on, but it's not a lifetime appointment, right? We're not asking people to serve on the Supreme Court here. Um, now, the question you're probably wondering is, okay, that's a big commitment. You're talking about having celebrities and all these other folks. How do we compensate and that? Them? We will talk about when we come back. Hey, Business Lunch listeners. I've been running my own business since I was 17, and I found that nothing slows down entrepreneurs more than this one pesky question, and that's what do I do next? And left unanswered, you find yourself stuck far below your potential, jumping from one shiny object to the next, perpetually wondering why other businesses are growing and yours is stuck. So that's why Scalable has put together the seven levels of scale framework. We'll give you the shortest path possible to go from a struggling startup to a high profit, high impact, exitable business that'll give you the wealth and freedom you deserve. So stop wondering what to do next and take our free three minute assessment today at getscalable.com download. And you can download a free guide to show you what level of scale you're currently at and how you can scale quickly and profitably to the next. Okay, so we talked about what kinds of advisors should we have? How big should that be? What are the categories? Now we're going to talk about where the rubber meets the road. How do you get them on board and take care of them? How do you compensate them? And then what is the actual commitment that you're looking for? So I think let's talk about the commitment, like kind of how, how do you work with an advisor first, Ryan, if that's cool, and then wrap with how do we get them paid? Yeah, so there's really two ways to work with an advisor. There is the you're going to ask them to show up regularly to a meeting, either online or offline, typically online. So you're going to ask them to take an hour, two hours, is usually how long these sessions would go uh, out of their day for you to just be able to, to throw out like, here's my issues. Here's my questions. You would have submitted to them ahead of time. Some of the questions that you have, you're likely sharing your financials, your high level business metrics with them, and you're asking for feedback. I mean, so that is usually how these 
you know, meetings are structured at, at the, you give the high at the, level, at the bigger companies, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're given the, the big picture perspective of how are you doing right now? We'll have some highlights. We'll have some lowlights and areas where I need help. That's the basic structure you got advisor. Here are some highlights from the, the previous period. Here are some lowlights from the previous period. Here's where I need help. So this is what you're submitting. And then there's folks that are going to show up again digitally or kind of in, in the flesh. So there's that group. Then there's also people, again, the second category of advisors who they're not going to show up in a group setting. They're just simply available when and if you need them. And that's a bit like a coach or a consultant, right? So they're not necessarily going to go, but, but by structuring and saying like, hey, can you be on my advisory board? It, it kind of suggests a different level of, you know, commitment. So there, again, there's kind of the active where they're showing up, committing to showing up at a specific place in a specific time or the, look, I'm here when you need me, send me your stuff and we can communicate going back and forth. So those are the two different, I guess, types of deliverables. And that's why we're saying if you build a board of 10 to 15 people, probably seven to 10 of them are going to be in that first category. Well, they're actually willing to show up on a semi-regular basis. Let me talk a little bit more about that yeah. first. So if we, if we call those basically advisors on tap, right? Those are the people that you can reach out to when you need something. I, I like being personally that kind of advisor because I'm not yeah. I'm not scheduled into formal meetings which tend to be boring and not as productive as we would like them to be. Not that you guys won't run the most productive meetings ever and always uh, have just <laughs> great interesting things to talk with your advisors about. But the truth is, I think the meetings on the good side they force you to get together and so they force some preparation to get together. But if you've got any kind of discipline at all, I, I think that they are forced that they feel forced. They like nobody's excited to go to that. What you might think about is having your your AOTs, right? Your advisors on tap first and then have a single meeting, but make the meeting something cool, like not in a boardroom with fluorescent lights flickering, but instead in a private dining room or um, a retreat at some place where everybody's actually eager to go and business is just part of it. Because remember, a lot of the reason that we pick these advisors is to build relationships. So you want to be able to give to them some experiential getting together and bonding time, and you want to help connect them with each other. So I think like if you could be an AOT, if you could be an advisor on for, or use your advisors that way for all, but maybe one meeting a year and then hold that, then that's kind of a hybrid model that I think helps to be, interesting and really build relationships and and kind of move things. So I'd, I'd argue for that one, unless you get to like public companies and things like that. Yeah. And it's a lot easier to get people to gather quarterly. If again, the, your advisory group is made up of, of the people who are gathering regularly is made up more of peers and facilitated by maybe like a single mentor yep. who's helping to facilitate it across all of them. Who knows how to facilitate a meeting. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. And so, you know, a lot of times this is what's known as a mastermind. But what we encourage businesses to do, what we actually help entrepreneurs do at the Scalable Company is build advisory groups where, yes, there is a mentor, somebody who knows what they are doing, and they will put together a group of peer entrepreneurs to essentially serve as one another's advisory board. Now, each of those entrepreneurs should also have their own additional advisors on tap like you said, Roland, that they could kind of go what doesn't get answered there kind of between the mentor uh, and the peers. And so that might be the group that meets more mm -hmm. regularly. And then if everybody also has their own advisors on tap, then what's beautiful is within the context of this advisory group, 
that again, you're getting a lot of good solid efficiencies because there's one mentor helping to kind of facilitate the advisory you know, group for everybody. And then all these advisors, all the members have their own outside advisors on tap. Now the brain trust that happens, not just within the group, but one degree of separation removed and then another degree of separation beyond that for all the, those advisors, truly you're at a point where the answer is always in the yep. room or it's one or two degrees of separation. Exactly. Removed. So that is my favorite way to do it. And if, if you can do that where you're meeting quarterly in person for maybe like a, a day or a half day uh, for everybody, that's, that's great. And doing it in a fun, cool spot. If it's digital, we recommend more virtual, shorter, but meeting more frequently because yeah. being on Zoom for a day or a half day is just death. But if you want to have everybody meet and gather once a month for two hours and you just go around and everybody submits ahead of time, here's my top level numbers, highlights, lowlights, where I need help. And you just kind of go around the room. You got five to seven people. You can get that knocked out pretty quickly. Yeah. So that's a good structure. Good options, I guess, to choose in terms of your structure. So you got your core advisory group that's mostly peers because everybody's willing to show up and then a mentor that's being compensated for doing that. Now you might need to pay this mentor 25, 30, 40 grand to facilitate that, right? And, and it could be worth absolutely every, you know, penny in the world to have like that, that coach, that, that mentor to be able to do that who actually knows what they're doing. But how, how do you think you go about compensating? What are some things you've seen in the past, Roland? best practices for compensating other advisors outside of just pure cash, yeah. which by the way, should not be off the table. I would say it should be on yeah. the table and that it should be on the table yeah. more than anything else. And I know we've done all different ways on companies that we advise, but the truth is, is that equity, like actual ownership of your company is very, very precious. And it's the most expensive thing that you'll ever give away because your company is hopefully going to be continuing to grow and grow and grow. And so I think that the very first thing that I would argue for is if you can afford it, it's really better to pay them cash. They will appreciate it because equity in a company that never sends them any money isn't particularly exciting. You also want to be sure that no matter what, you're covering their expenses. So if you're asking them to fly out someplace, you need to have the ability to fly them however they normally fly. And that could be coach or first class or private. It's however they do it. You, to me, rise to that level because you're asking them for help, right? So you want them in a good mood when they get there. If you can give them cash, that generally puts them in a good mood. And then they'll understand, like the conversation I have is like, we're going to do this um, as cash right now. And then we'll see how things go. Because I have no idea where the company's going to go. Hopefully it's going to do big things. And whenever we have those big things occur, then we're definitely going to be thinking about all the people that helped us get there. But in the meantime, rather than have you have equity that isn't going to really perform for you, how about if we just pay you some cash. So I, I like a quarterly cash payment for, for advisors to start with and whatever is going to be just enough to show them that it matters. I, I think if you were much less than 5k a quarter, you would be not really valuing them at all in a way that would mean anything to them. Cause hopefully these are people who are fairly successful to start with. So you want it to at least be worth their time. Then you can go to all kinds of hybrids, but, but there are other things you can do besides equity, which actually might be much better for the advisor, because if the advisor takes actual equity, they'll have to pay taxes on it in most countries the minute that they get equity at whatever the value is. So if you just did a round at $2 million and you give away 10% uh, of your company to your board of advisors, there's $200,000 of income that they will collectively have and pay taxes on having not received any money from you. Right. So that's kind of, oh, great. I, not only do I not get paid, I get to pay to be an advisor. That's not 
necessarily the best deal. So I think in, in those situations, it's good to think about options. You can have stock options. You can have incentive options that are based on how well have they performed. They can be time-based. How long are they there? They can be some combination of those things. Typically, you're going to be fairly low in equity in terms of points on the low side, maybe a quarter of a point for an advisor on the high side, maybe as much as five if they're like really, really key. But it's it's seldom would you have more than that going in if they're not going to actually, like just for being an advisor, if they're not going to actually kind of roll up their sleeves and help you like get clients or accomplish some things. And when you do that, then typically it's more than that. So I think there's phantom stock, which is treated as if you have stock, but it's not. So you don't pay taxes on it. Generally, no legal advice here on business lunch. There is a profits only interest, which is a generally approved thing that people can have an interest in a company, something that our internal revenue service recognizes and you don't get taxed on. There are options and then there's, there's equity. And so there's a lot of steps to think about between there. But I would be really, really hesitant to give equity. E equity also generally carries with it minority owner rights. So if you have people that actually have an ownership in the company, you got to think about those people when you're doing all the things you're doing, because if you're doing something that is arguably self-interested or doesn't really think about them, they have rights and they have rights to inspect books and all kinds of other things that could be just kind of get in the way of you operating the business. And if you don't have a mechanism, if you do give equity and actually any equity like things, you want to have some right to buy them out. So part of that deal has to be that you can cash them out at some point on some formula. And those are things I would generally be thinking about. Yeah. I know when I've done it in the past, because I've been, you know, I both sides of these deals where we've had advisors for our companies and we've been advisors for other people's companies. A standard thing that I see very often is a, you know, a quarter point and it might vest over two to four years kind of thing, or depending on how, how long somebody is there. And that can make sense if you're talking about uh, a, a company that's growing fast, getting funding, and that quarter point can actually turn into something. Mm -hmm. But here's the reality, all right? And why I would encourage you, if you're thinking about if you're at level five and you're saying, okay, I got to build my board, I would encourage you, don't go the equity route. Because in general, it's not actually what is going to motivate right. most advisors. 100%. Okay. So most advisors, let's go back to kind of the categories. There's, there's the peers. They're going to be motivated by the fact that oftentimes it's going to be reciprocal. You're on their board, they're on yours. You're helping each other out. It's a mastermind type relationship. Very often, if you're compensating one another at all, you're doing it, you're each paying each other kind of the same thing. But in general, it's like, hey, this is going to be a reciprocal kind of thing. And so the motivation there is I want to have access to what's going on in your world. And, and I want, you know, you to help me out with mine. And so that's why peers would do it with advisors. It's the mentors rather. And a lot of the strategics, it's the same thing. They want access. Oftentimes with mentors, they want access to emerging entrepreneurs who have been where they were because they want to give back. Right. And so it's, it's access to people who are at that level and they, they want to be able to, to kind of make an impact. Very often it's access just to stay in the game and to stay fresh and stay sharp. Oftentimes it's access to deal yep. flow. So we've been willing to be on people's advisory board because it's companies that we perhaps want to do yep. acquire. Now we're rarely going to do this for yep. free, but we'll significantly discount what we would discount or what, what we would normally charge for just coaching or consulting. I don't think we would do it for a quarter of a point or a point, like you think about a quarter of a point, 
in a $10 million exit, you got 25 grand, right? That's, that's right. not going to do anything no. for either of us, no. but might we do it if we saw that it was a foot in the door so that we could then have the opportunity to do other things? Yes. Right. So or might we do it because of the other advisors who were right. in the group? So I've been on advisory boards because I wanted to network with some other, and they got me like, hey, you should know we got this yeah. person. Like, God dang, okay, I'm right. on that person. Right. And so that's where sometimes what it's worth doing, it's worth investing what it costs to get one high level person in the room because that's what's gonna draw other people at some, at a very low investment yep. or very often no investment. Yep. So just understand that the motivation for advisors is rarely the equity upside. Most advisors are doing it because they either want a reciprocal peer relationship. They're doing it because they want access. They're doing it because they want to give more status. And, and so building an advance, so building an advisory board uh, does not have to be a substantial line item in your company budget. But you should plan on budgeting something for it. I would not. This is likely to be a six-figure a year investment for your yep. business, which is why we say you're doing this at level yep. five. I see this all the time. People want to build some com complex advisory board. They still got an idea for a business, haven't made their first sale yet. At that point, maybe you hire a consultant, maybe you get in a good coaching program. Not the time to build a formal uh, advisory board. That's why when we talk about the seven levels, sequence matters. Okay. We're, we're telling you, this is the thing you work on now. You know what's coming down the road, but you don't have to work and make those investments. And yet. speaking, speaking of sequence and down the road, next time we're going to talk about level six, which is one's near and dear to my heart, which is uh, complete your first acquisition, right? Yeah. Doing, uh, doing acquisition for expansion. Again, each one of these levels has, you know, has a reason, right? The reason that we tell you level one, you got to sell and serve 10. That's where it all begins. Right. If you cannot successfully sell and serve at least 10 clients, you don't have a business yet. Once you've done that, it's time to really begin to automate and perpetuate sales. That's level two. Cause if you can't do that, guess what? You're not going to have a need to upgrade your operating system. You're not going to have operational constraints because you don't have any customers. Right. Then you can really begin to focus on the profitability of your business and, and really banking significant profits. You know, you've earned it. Then build the board. Why? Because it's at that point when you need support. It's at that point when you need to level up. It's at that point when you really need accountability because now you're running something much bigger. Then what, what is going to stall out every business all the time is you do reach the limits of organic growth. You reach the limits of organic scale. So you need to think about that inorganic, which is fancy way of saying acquisition. And so, yeah, that's what we'll talk about in the next one. And then ultimately talk about hitting your number and what does it look like once you've done that? How do you build that generational wealth? That's that's level seven. So hope, hopefully you're enjoying these um, episodes. I know we're kind of taking a break from our normal you know, business lunch uh, shenanigans to, to go through the seven levels of scale, but this is important. You know, This is the roadmap to going from that struggling startup to that scalable, exitable business. And remember, if you are uh, thinking, where do I fall on it now? Let's do an assessment for you. We've got a free one over at sevenlevelsofscale.com and you can spell it out or you can write the number and either one will take you there. You can go through the assessment and then kind of see where do I sit right now and, and where should I go from there? Perfect stuff. Awesome. Cool. Thank you guys for joining today. If you enjoyed the podcast, please do subscribe to it so you don't miss out. I mean, what if you know five levels and never learn six or seven? You could be cheating yourself out of something horrible, yes. right? A, a huge amount of, of progress and money and everything else. So subscribe so you don't miss out. So for that, we're going to sign off. We'll see you next time and we'll talk about level six. 
You've been listening to Business Lunch with Roland Frazier. If you're enjoying the show, let us know by subscribing and leaving a review. And for more information, go to businesslunchpodcast.com. Thank you for listening. What if three days could change the course of your business in 2023? Get Scalable Live is where you'll gain great clarity on the next steps that will help you create the business, life, and wealth you deserve. Connect with business owners and entrepreneurs just like you, hungry for advice, proven strategies, and necessary connections to grow a business. Literally, million-dollar conversations are happening in the hallways, in the bathrooms, across tables. Get Scalable Live at Fairmont Austin, November 2nd through 4th. Tickets are on sale now at GetScalableLive.com.